Hi, my name's Hudson, and I'm a geoholic. Hello, my name is Dr. Nick Smolovsky, and I'm also a geoholic. We appreciate you tuning in for this jumbo edition of Bad Elf's Seconds of Spatial News. We Bad Elves live our lives one spatial second at a time, and we know you, geoholics, do too. Having a bit of fun this week, I specifically selected a story about a group of migratory elephants making global headlines. In China's Yunnan province, according to USA Today, 14 remaining elephants have been making an 18-month-long journey across the region. Traversing a whopping 807 miles, these elephants are appearing to head towards a protected habitat zone in the southwest part of the province. These land titans have caused quite a stir. It is reported that over 150,000 people have been evacuated since the elephants began their trip. Additionally, over 25,000 local police officers using vehicles like cars and things like aerial drones have been monitoring the herd. Oh, and don't worry, they're not just moving and shaking people, they're also destroying infrastructure, topping over 771,000 USD dollars in insurance claims for property damage. Interestingly, two of the elephants decided not to follow the herd and turn back to their original habitat zone. Some postulate a young alpha male might have led them off course. Yep, never heard that story before. You know the one. The one where a young field crew chief thought they knew what was best and led the crew down the wrong dang road? <laughs> Alright, that does it for this week's Bad Elf's Seconds of Spatial News. We hope you've enjoyed our designated news of the week. If you have any questions about this story or about Bad Elf GNSS products, please feel free to contact me via LinkedIn or through the Geoholics channels. Ciao, Geoholics. Thanks. Alive, boys. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for <laughs> listening to the Geoholics podcast. Before we go any further, I got to let you know that BS is off this week, um, adulting, as they say, meaning he is actually now having to work for a living. So, in his stead, we have a familiar voice in front of the show sitting in. Give a warm Geoholics welcome to Mr. Will Wing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for being here, Will. And uh, we're going to put you in the spotlight right off the bat. What did you come up with episode for episode 94? So 94, uh, our guest, being from where they're from, I'm going to take a guess they might be NASCAR fans. So 94, we're going to go with Bill Elliott. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that might be our first NASCAR <laughs> number. <laughs> I know. All right. Yep. You guys might know his son, Chase Elliott, but Bill, his dad, uh, born 1955, nickname, best nickname ever. Awesome Bill from Dawsonville. Nice. Also, Million Dollar Bill or Wild Bill. He was an American former professional stock car racing driver. He still competes in the full-time camping world, world superstar racing experience. Uh, he won the 1988 Winston Cup Championship and garnered 44 wins in that series. Good choice. 
And, and very fitting. Right. Very fitting right. for you being I here. like it. Mixing it up. Yeah, yeah. we're no more hockey or uh, baseball or football <laughs> in NASCAR. We're getting on the nitty-gritty, boys. I don't yeah. know what we're going to do here in a few episodes. But um, I think we were talking before the show, and we'll have, to, we'll have to check my history on this, but I went to a, one NASCAR race. Well, I've gone to a couple here in Arizona, but I went to the Brickyard 400 a long time ago, and I'm like 99% sure that Bill Elliott won that race. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. He, so he ran the number 96, the McDonald's car. He mm. ran the 96 because his nephew, Casey, was battling cancer, and that oh. was his racing number. And so they ended up, they won a lot of races with that number. And, I mean, unfortunately, Casey didn't make it. But, you know, what a guy. And that was the first team that he fielded with his own on his own dime. So. Nice, nice. We have a bit of a racing historian with us this evening. That's I fantastic. like it. Also, Will is also, I've got to mention this, he's also a uh, Instagram influencer, let's say, and can be found at, correct me if I'm wrong, infinity underscore land underscore surveying underscore AZ. Yes. I just Did I hit it? Yeah, I just say Infinity Land Serving AZ, put an underscore <laughs> under each word. There you go. And and recently had an awesome article published in the XYHT magazine, correct? Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank Titled you. Titled yeah. Generation S for Surveyor. Correct. And it was super cool, you know, talking about, you know, surveying with your kids and stuff like that. So I'd highly recommend it. Awesome read. And uh, congrats on that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, my English teacher would be... In shock right now. (laughs) (laughs) Regardless, it's good to have you back. And uh, if you're watching or listening to this and want to know how you get one of these dope, isn't that what the kids say these days? Dope Geoholics hat is pretty simple. You can order from the geoholics.com shop or simply become a patron of the show for as little as five bucks a month. And you can do that by going to patreon.com, searching for the Geoholics. If you go that route, you not only get this awesome hat, but you get the entire fan pack or the whole enchilada, as they say. I like it. You nice. like it. All right. Uh, PJ, talk about the opening number. All right, guys. That was Can't Stop by the uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers are an American rock band formed in Los Angeles in 1983. Their music incorporates elements of alternative rock, funk, punk, punk rock, and psychedelic rock. Uh, the band consists of vocalist Anthony Kiedis, bassist Flea, drummer Chad Smith, and guitarist John Fusconti. I hope I got that right. Uh, With over 80 million records sold worldwide, the Red Hot Chili Peppers are one of the best-selling bands of all time. They're the most successful band in the history of alternative rock, with the records for most number of singles, which is 13, most cumulative weeks at number one, 85, and most top 10 songs, 25, on the Billboard Alternative Songs chart. Um, they've won six Grammy Awards, and in 2012, were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think that's a great bit we got going on. Every time we, I just no one ever corrects me on any of the names, and I just say it however I want to say it. People are laughing at you. Trust me. I love it. I like it. <laughs> All right, we cannot forget to mention that we are recording in the Diamondback Lancerving Studio. Uh, shout out to Trent Keenan for his uh, continued support of the show, and. Uh, Keep an eye out because you know what? Uh, I know we're like, what, we're in August right now. So here in about five months, we're going to be looking for a fresh batch of friends of the program. And we got some really cool things going on, some awesome opportunities. So keep that fresh in the back of your mind. Shout out to this week's highlighted friend of the program. As a matter of fact, this week we have Advanced Geodetic Surveys, Inc. Advanced Geodetic Surveys, also known as JGS, is a Texas S corporation specializing in mapping and land surveying equipment that has probably been doing business since 1991. Since 1991, AGS has consistently provided expertise in the surveying and mapping industry. They offer a comprehensive list of competitive surveying and mapping products and services. 
The staff at AGS has combined experience of over 135 years. With that in mind, you can be sure that they are able to solve any problems or obstacles you may encounter in the field. Their number one priority is customer satisfaction. They look after their clients and strive to provide a hassle-free experience for all your GPS mapping or surveying needs. Go to agsgps.com forward slash shop. If you use the promo code GEO15, you will save 15% off all regular price field supplies, accessories, and safety equipment. At AGS, it's the service after the sale that counts. Wow, that was my Bam. Holy crap. Earned my paycheck this week. Earned my paycheck. All right. I'm doing double time apparently. The Trimble Geospatial Weekly Words of Wisdom. So, if you've, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that I go down these YouTube rabbit holes. Um, primarily, I search for obscure sports like cheese rolling and marble racing and stuff like that. But when I'm not doing that, I spend a lot of time watching like motivational or inspirational you know, videos about leadership and success and stuff like that. So I don't have a quote this week per se, but rather a observation of something I found interesting. I was watching this one video and there are of course exceptions to all the rules, right? But in general, this was very interesting. <laughs> you can agree or disagree with this, but when I think about it, it's true. Um, people are poor because they think like poor people. I've heard that. People are stuck in the middle class because they have a middle class mindset. The top one, maybe 5% have obtained that level of, of success because they think like successful people. Among other things, they are laser focused, persistent, resilient, and basically never settle for anything less. So I think it's really interesting. You know, yeah. it's basically saying that your level of success is essentially a mindset. Change your mindset. Change Speak your mindset. into existence. Bingo. There you go. Um, with that, let's catch up the boys. Producer Jake, what's up? Um, yeah, I actually had some real real life geo about a couple hours ago before what I uh, got to the show. Yeah, really? it was kind of cool, and it was something that I was really interested in two episodes ago. So if you remember, um, Ofer, I was asking Ofer a lot of questions about Ophir. I Ophir. will correct Excuse you on that. Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me. Ophir, um, I was asking him a bunch of questions about this witching rod thing. Yes, the witching sure stick. Sure enough, yep. about two hours ago, I go to take out the garbage. Oh boy. In the backyard there, like the, in the alleyway, um, we got a uti utility locator guy spraying all utility stuff, and sure enough, he's got one in his hand. So I was like, dude, I got to see how this works. So he's like standing over some, I think it was gas or water, something like that. And you could see it like move and stuff. And of course, he had some other instruments there. And I was asking him a bunch of questions about how he was finding this stuff, because it was like he was marking like gas and like cocks, and he was showing me all different things. And I had to ask him, D do you know this witching rod or water witching, do you know like another word for it or something? Yeah. And I asked him if he's ever heard anyone call it doodle bugging like we talked about. Yeah, and he right. said he hadn't heard that. Oh, so um, it was just one stick? He didn't have two? He just had one, yeah. Interesting. Witching it's rod. Like two, yep, and it's like cross. Normally it's two. Yep. Yeah, normally yeah. when I've seen all the, fo the like photos cool. I've seen, yeah, it's been mm -hmm. two. He had some other device with us, and he said he was like hooked up to his truck and all, but that was real life application there. I knew what I was talking about, right? <laughs> at least a little bit for the first time in a while. So, did, did he offer you a job? No, he didn't. <laughs> There's still hope. There's still hope. And, uh, yeah, maybe I'll get home uh, and see a business card on my front door. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there you go. But anyway, Will, how about you, sir? Ah, it's been a busy, crazy week. Uh, started Monday out uh, with a foundation leak in our house. Mm. So, 
I got an education on plumbing and nice. uh, abandoning. Like, you know, we, we abandon easements, but I didn't know you could abandon plumbing lying underneath your foundation. Oh, but good God. Wow. You can do that too. And then you just reroute it through the wall, into the attic, down wow. into another spot. And Interesting. Get, really? Yeah. Huh. And, then, and then they just give you a bill and you have to pay. Imagine you know, that. Right. You don't, you don't get to <laughs> ask, like ask like why it's so much. Right. Can you see an itemized, know. you know, you just, you have to actually just pay it. Yeah. It is what it is. It's that specialty <laughs> service right there. Yeah. So so it's getting better. Uh picked up a new little little race car today that we can go play yes. with. So Yeah. We nice. saw some pictures of that here before yeah. we got it's started. It's freaking awesome. Pretty sweet. Yeah. I'm like living my my life vicariously through Will. Yeah, we're gonna, we're going to have to go up and see a race <laughs> with that new guy for sure. Yeah. Do you have a name for it yet or do you, do you name your cars? Ah, uh, well this one it's too new. It's just it needs a lot of work. So usually when you're working on them that's when they It'll get come the to you? Yeah. 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 I like that. Yes. I like that. <laughs> Good or bad. So like Pochito. Yeah, that's there right. you go. That's right. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. I guess it's my turn. So I'm going to get on my soapbox here a little bit. This COVID thing is getting out of freaking control. That's all I'm going to say. So my oldest daughter, I think I probably have mentioned before, <clears throat> works for a very large investment money management company. They have still not gone back to the office yet, but they are planning on going back in October, right? They are paying every employee $1,000 to get the COVID shot. Wow. Yes. Can you freaking believe that? It's out of control. It is absolutely out of control. Are they it's un, yeah, unbelievable. Thousand dollars <laughs> each of them get, and like it's required. You have to get the COVID yeah. shot, and by doing wow. so, you get a thousand bucks. Wow, that's insane. So I was watching They've got a lot of employees too. Oh, huge, massive. Um, I'm a huge Joe Rogan fan, obviously. Um, and I was watching Joe Rogan. I think it was earlier this week, maybe last week, and he had this guy on. I can't remember his name, but uh, <laughs> they were talking about. This some research that you know these medical experts and scientists have have come have put together, and they've come to the conclusion that a vaccine. And this makes sense if you think about it, a vaccine that does not like eradicate, you know, a disease or a virus, what have you, um, can actually do more harm than good. And the reason is by not wiping out, you know, the targeted disease or virus, um, it actually causes it to mutate and take on a, a different form that. That figures out how to get around the vaccine and become even stronger, and I, we're seeing that happen, you know, with these breakthrough cases and things like that. So it's it's just freaking insane. It is really insane. Um, guys, got anything to say about that? I am just COVID fatigued at this point. I feel like this podcast every time we come on here and say, "Well, now that we're getting out of the pandemic, now that it just fires right back up." It's twice yeah. now. So, and the problem is, there's so many exciting things happening. You know, like stuff even like for the geoholics in general. I'm like, yeah. you know, we have these opportunities to do these different things, and I'm like, man, oh man, I really want to do that, but it's hard to commit and spend that money just because you don't know what's going to happen. Still, you know, yeah, a couple of times now we've booked and been ready to go and, and yeah. had to pull out. So, yeah, it's unfortunate. So, hopefully, we get through this sooner. Yeah later but man oh man it's just such a uh, fluid situation it's crazy all right safety apparel safety share and other things to worry about will you are on once again buddy uh, you know what usually it's like pj bs dd kg ww it just doesn't work as well ww you know? yeah <laughs> how about just w yeah, yeah, yeah what you got will all right well i mean it, it kind of ties into a little bit of what you're saying with vaccinations um but it's, it's something that I had to deal with that same Monday that I got the news about the plumbing. <laughs> um, I was out setting control on a project and, you know, I got this brand new, fresh bundle of rusty ass rebar. Oh, right? here we go. Oh, okay. Perfect. So, right. It's already Perfect. a bad day. Already a bad day. Um, I, I don't know if I, 
this section that I was working with, I'm in the middle of nowhere. I'm, so I'm thinking GLO, I'll be good to go. You know, I'll find some original stuff. Yeah. I've, I've, it's knocked over. I mean, I made a, I made a memorial for one of them. I don't know if you saw, I my saw post. that <laughs> classic <laughs> great the beer there. Great for post. Just to, you know. yep. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So after all that, I go to go to put this rebar in and I wear gloves, but in the field, like I have leather gloves that I wear for some stuff, but I usually have like fingerless that I got to use. Mm. Untie riding. something. Yeah, and it's mostly so your top of your hands aren't get fried yeah. on the pole all day. Mm-hmm. So I've got those and I grab that rebar and I go to hit it and it slips out and I, I go to catch it. It's just falling over and I go to catch it and the 10 pound is coming down and oh it boy. just. Oh no. That's, uh, that's the, the leftovers of it. But that, mm. that, that's a week and I mean a week. Yeah. Yikes. So, you know, you're out there in the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, first thing you check in your is your is your first aid kit. And mine is, let's just say, it's probably not the most up to date. Mm. Um, and you think about when that happens, what are you going to need out there? You mm-hmm. know, you're going to want like alcohol. You're going to want um, uh, neosporin, yeah. something like this. Something now, to get it covered too yeah, afterwards. I mean, you know, so also you start thinking about tetanus mm, you know, yeah. and, and everything that we use as a surveyor is rusted because we work in the elements. Good I mean, point. your hammers, even your hammers get rusted. You're working with rusty rebar. Yep. You're working with nails. You're working with machetes and they get rusted. I mean, so, you know, just keep your tetanus shot up to date. Cause I didn't know when mine was. Mm. So now yeah. I break everything <laughs> down and I'm pissed off. I'm driving back to town. Like fingers <sighs> hurting. Now I got to go get a, get a shot. Tetanus yeah. shot. Yeah. And on the way there I call and they're like, Oh, you're, 2017, you're good. I'm like, oh, that's right. Oh, wow. That's oh, they last that long? How long do they yeah. last? That was ten, my question. T- ten years. Ten oh, years. wow. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sitting with all your guys' equipment. I'm surprised yeah. you don't wake up with a shot of tetanus. <laughs> tetanus shot <laughs> just each just morning. Just take a shot of tetanus. Yeah. <laughs> ten years. Wow. I don't even know when the last time I got mine was. I haven't swung a hammer in a few years, though. A rusty hammer at oh, that. Oh, you do? You just sail, Jay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how, how, yeah. how much damage can saw water do? Come yeah. on. Right? But, I mean, it's anything. Like, you're, you're going through a gate. An old and they got nails sticking through. You open the gate, you Ugh. drag your arm across it. Oh yeah, that, is that pretty fast? I mean, if you didn't have your shot, did that get you pretty fast? Or well, that's I did some research on it, and so they actually had I think in 1947, uh, tetanus became part of the shots that you got. Yeah, remember? I don't know if, if you like my parents have that big giant scar. On yeah, the circle yeah. the circle, yeah. right? And they got yep. like 32 yeah. shots at one time, mm-hmm. and I think that was one of them. But back pre 1947. They were having, you know, 380 plus deaths a year from tetanus. So wow, really? that's what the 380. Word. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> and they made a that, shot. Well, for that's it. reported. I mean, I don't think that's they were crazy. reporting everything back in. Yeah, I don't even know like what it would, <laughs> what it like, what it looks like to be sick by tetanus. Like, is right. it just yeah. like, I don't even know. I just the it's, word uh, sounds scary, and yeah. all you know is you get it from yeah. rust. It's bad. It's it's a clost, clostridium tetani. It's when the bacteria invade the body, they produce a poison toxin that causes painful muscle contractions. Another name for tetanus is lockjaw. Okay, right. familiar with that. Oh, well, that talk- just got scarier. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so, huh. so. Get your tetanus shot, guys. Yes. Get your tetanus shot. Yeah, good advice. Good one there, Will. Yeah. All right, let's get our guests looped into this conversation, this colorful conversation here. So we've got um, Tyler and Keegan with us this evening, a couple surveyors. And if they don't make it as surveyors, they can probably make it as a boy band. Tyler and Keegan. It sounds like the start of a boy band for sure. So I'm going to loop these guys in here. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Tyler, I'm going to let you go first. Give us your name, where you're from. There's a lot to remember. Years serving and your current job, you know, whether it be or military and civilian. 
Okay. Uh, I'm Tyler LaPointe. I'm from West Tennessee, uh, the Jackson area. I've been surveying for the military since 2011, 2012. Started surveying in the civilian sector in 2013. Uh, military, I'm a Staff Sergeant E6. I'm a technical engineer and surveyor NCO for the 212th Engineer Company. And civilian side, I am currently an uh, office survey technician for L.I. Smith and Associates. And where, where is that located? Uh, Paris, Tennessee. Paris, Tennessee. All right. Fantastic. Keegan, you're up, buddy. All right. My name is Keegan Lumley. I am from Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, I've been military surveying since 2016. I've been doing civilian surveying since the beginning of 2019. Um my unit is uh, the 145th Civil Engineering Squadron, where I'm a staff sergeant uh, NCO with a, a five-man shop where we operate uh, as our career field is a 3E5, which is uh, engineering assistance. Uh, my level is up at the craftsmanship right now. Um, as far as my civilian side, uh, I work at Stewart Engineering, which is uh, our main office located in Raleigh, North Carolina, but we have a couple strewn between uh, North Carolina and South Carolina and some remote people uh, around the state as well. Um, our office is located in Wilmington, North Carolina, and my title there is a geomatics field supervisor, or as everybody else likes to call it, just a, a survey party chief or a survey crew chief. And I've been uh, working with the same crew of guys, like I said, since 2019. Fantastic. Thank you guys for that. And before we go any further, first and foremost, thank you for your service. Absolutely. Um, so we, we like to, yeah, for sure. And so we'd like to ask our guests kind of a, an icebreaker type question, just kind of lighten the mood a little bit. So Tyler, I'm going to start out with you on this one. So this is pretty interesting. Uh, would you rather travel back in time to meet your ancestors or would you rather go to the future to meet your descendants? What do you think, Tyler? That's a hard one. Um, if I absolutely had to choose, I think it would be the future. Go to the future. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. To yep. see if we've gotten any better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. How about you, Keegan? What do you think on that one? I see. I think I'm on the opposite coin of that. I think I'd go to the past, to be honest. Yep. Yeah. Um, just because... I don't know. I kind of got a long line. Like you don't hear a lot of Lumleys and the name's English. So like we're part of the first original people that came over to uh, North America, yeah. you know? So I, I'd love to know, you know, or just kind of be there and fit in their shoes be like, you know, all when they're on the boat coming over or whatever, it's how life was over there is, you know, stuff like that. There's actually a Lumley castle in Europe. If you look it up, it's huge. And I'm just waiting for them to send me the email saying that I'm the right flair, but I haven't gotten it yet. <laughs> Those royalties are coming, man. <laughs> yeah, it's coming. <laughs> yeah, a little back to the future. I like it. PJ, what about you, man? Yeah. What are you thinking on that I one? think I would go to the future, too. But then yeah. when uh, he was saying that about the past, it would be kind of interesting to see. He'd probably learn a lot from – it'd probably be uh, pretty eye-opening to see – True. I mean, we can go watch as many movies and stuff as we want, how people live back then, mm -hmm. but to, to see it firsthand, yeah. but you probably come back and, uh, assuming you get to come back and probably look at things in a new perspective for sure. Good point. How about you, Will? Yeah, definitely go back. Um, I have some crazy history. Like, so I got into surveying when I was in college, had no idea, didn't know anybody that was in it, just fell into it from some awesome professors. Uh, yeah. anyways, uh, when my grandpa passed away, my uncle came down and he, did all this genealogy huh. and my middle name Massey was from my grandfather's grandfather who was a surveyor on the frontier 
who had a mail-order wife, yeah. and he had three daughters. <laughs> no wow. sons. Yeah. He was the last of the Masseys, so all of them had to have a son whose middle name was Massey. So oh, my man. grandfather's William Massey, my dad's Dan Massey, I'm William Massey, and Wow. The dude was a surveyor in Cheyenne, Wyoming. No way. We say it, yeah, we yeah, say it all the cool time. I, I know. I have had no idea. Like That was, is awesome. <laughs> that's a great story. I yeah. feel like we use the uh, phrase, surveying's in your blood, quite a bit on this show loosely, but we <laughs> yeah. definitely say surveying is really in your blood here. Yeah, literally, for sure, yeah. I mean, I, 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 my initial thought is I would want to go forward. But I'm afraid of the future at this point, to be honest with you. I would, I would go back. There's no doubt about it. I mean, my, you know, my last name's Grow. Apparently, at some point, it was Grow Kowalski. It got changed and all this stuff. And I would love to find out more about that for sure. I do but. think Tyler has a good point about seeing if we got any better, though, right? Like, yeah. Right. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I would be curious about that, too. You know, is everybody driving a Tesla or, you know, yeah, what's yeah. going on here? Right. Exactly. <laughs> or is anyone even there anymore? Right. Yeah. Survey instruments are going to be Tesla-based. Everything is going to be yeah. fully just robotic <laughs> yeah there's I, I think you're onto something there for sure yeah hey, man. yeah uh maybe we get elon in the uh, survey equipment business <laughs> yeah. yeah we can do a, a tesla tesla mobile scanner oh, for goodness. the model s with a flamethrower on it <laughs> with a flamethrower on it yeah but you got to be stoned to <laughs> use it <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So the, uh, first of all, thank you guys for being here. The gist of the show is, you know, we're, we're here to talk about, you know, compare, contrast, you know, what have you, um, you know, military, your military experience in serving and your civilian serving experience. So first of all, let's, let's set the groundwork and let's, I'm gonna let each of you just talk a little bit more about, um, you know, how did you guys get introduced into serving? Was it, it through the military or was it through a civilian job? And Keegan, I'm gonna let you go first. Uh, let's see. So I got, um, I got into the military first. Um, I had, I had picked up on this class in high school that I didn't want to do some weird class called drafting or something crazy like that. Um, I didn't want to take it. I thought it was going to be a bunch of crap. And then after the first week, uh, 14 year old me was like, dude, I love this stuff. Um, so I finished it all through high school. Basically every other day I was just in the, the room, the classroom drafting. Um, and at the end of it, uh, I was looking for, you know, positions that I knew the military is what I wanted to do. I didn't come from a family where I could afford to go to the college. So the education benefits was a huge thing for me. Um, and then I found the engineering side of it where you do survey CAD and GIS. And I thought, well, uh, I know CAD pretty dang well. So I figured I could probably pick up serving and GIS stuff as well. Uh, and then it just kind of fell all into place after that. Um, when I joined in 2015 and then went to training in 2016, uh, got super super well equipped with how the Trimble uh, equipment worked and how it operated and the way to use it in the field and picked it up really well. And the way that it helped me correlate um, using CAD from first and then going out into the field, learning the equipment and then being able to bring that stuff right back in and just implementing it that way as if I, you know, I'm doing it from cradle to grave, literally. So I'm starting it, doing the work in the middle and finishing it. And that's kind of just, how it all just wrapped up in one big, huge package and kind of just put me on my way to my civilian career. That's awesome. How, like, so, so what kind of setting are, the, are you learning this in? What, what's the classroom like? Are you with 15 other guys all learning the same stuff? I mean, are you in the, f so actually, and this would kind of be the same for Tyler as well. So we all go to the army Corps of engineers training uh, facility at Fort Leonard Wood smack dab in the middle of nowhere, uh, Missouri. Um, Brown Hall. Yeah. Brown Hall is the name of it. And uh, 
we all would start off, um, I believe like the first eight weeks, possibly, um, uh, you do manual drafting, uh, with all the, the Marines, the air force, the Navy and the army. Um, and then after we've hit that, uh, basic training part of the, uh, instruction, then we break off into our own separate branches and learn the specific details of what our branch specifically does for our career fields. Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, Tyler, how about you? So, uh, same for me. I started with the military. I went to my recruiter and was like, Hey, is there something to do with civil or architectural engineering or something like that? And they're like, well, we have 12 tango. I was like, hmm. okay, cool. <laughs> I had no, I had no idea what a surveyor was like most people. 12 tango. And I got, that's the MOS code. Gotcha. Um, and I had no idea what it was. I got through the six months of training that the army has for the 12 tango, uh, technical engineer and surveyor. I did my first training event outside of basic and AIT. And I was like, I love this. This is mm. awesome. So I actually reached out to the son of my high school ag teacher, who was a local land surveyor and got on with his crew. Oh, wow. So, I mean, talk about, you know, as far as the military side of things, have you, have you guys done any sort of deployment um, activities? How, how, how exactly d does that work? Go ahead, Tyler. Uh, so I have been to Bulgaria like four times, Romania twice, Germany. I spent six months in Bulgaria as part of a mission called Resolute Castle, which is part of a bigger mission called Operation Atlantic Resolve. And I was on what they call the, uh, the duration staff. So I was there the entire time, and we'd have units rotate in and out every two to three weeks. And we worked on uh, – upgrading the training areas on that base in Bulgaria. Uh, we put in, you know, tank training lanes and improved the range roads, uh, put in storage areas for different things. And then I've also been to the Middle East for a year where I worked in uh, Kuwait, Jordan, and Iraq. And were you using the Trimble gear also? Actually, no. Uh, for a very short stint, the Army switched over, well, in Bulgaria, I was using Trimble 5600. Let me back that up. But All on right. this deployment, <laughs> so for a very short stint, <laughs> the Army cool. switched over to the system called TAG that ran on the Carlson software. Oh, okay. And that's what I used for most of the deployment. It's, you know, it looks real tactical. It's all black and big, like rugged tablets and stuff like that. So are you guys, you guys were construction staking? I mean, are you, or do you? I've seen different, I've heard, I worked with military uh, veterans before, and sometimes they were saying that it would just lay out grid line and set benchmarks and then kind of let, let them figure it out. Or, I mean, or are you guys setting station offset every stake? Well, that's kind of unit dependent because some people have a higher level of training than others, and it's just the way it works. But, yeah, primarily what we do is topographicals and construction, and then we do the design work as well. Gotcha. How about you, Keegan? Yeah, the way the, uh, the Air Force does it is we, we kind of break it into two different units where you have uh, Prime Beef, which does all the the, um, the maintenance and the infrastructure on base. And then you have 
red horse units, which are mostly the your construction engineering units that'll go overseas uh, to a forward operating base or whatever have you, where they're doing road construction constantly. Uh, we have those capabilities, but we just have to make sure we're up to date on the training that's required to meet those standards. You know what I mean? Um, so for at my unit in Charlotte, a lot of what we're doing is maintaining the facilities that are existing and any new infrastructure that's being put up. Like for instance, now over the last uh, four years, we've been converting from C-130 aircraft to C-17 aircraft, it's, which if you look those up, those are two totally different airframes. And so we've had to build um, a brand new hangar up on the other side of the Charlotte or our side of the, uh, the airport. Um, and so that involves a whole uh, plethora of levels of different survey that has to go into as far as um, we actually don't do the survey ourselves as, you know, we get contracted out from the engineers. They have their own subs to come in and do the survey, but then we check it uh, with their control and make sure that it ties into what our civil engineers are looking for. And then it's actually checking out. Right. So it's kind of just a QAQC for what we can do versus the subcontractors, making sure that they are on their toes. Uh, but then we also use that for our data as well and GIS to make sure that all our attribute data and everything like that is being up to date with the new building codes and everything like that and as built data as well. Um, but as far as um, the equipment though, I know with the tag stuff, I think um, we have another unit called the S team where they do just really primarily specific, smaller um, humanitarian projects where they've used Ashtech, which I don't know if y'all have ever heard of that, but I know I never heard of it. It was a terrible system. I didn't like it very much. It was super, super weird to use. And they got rid of it. And then they finally realized like, yeah, I think we should have stepped away from Trimble. So they went right back to it. But that's how that ended up. Yeah. Oh man. Trimble, friend of the program. Let's not forget that. Trimble yep. Geospatial. All right. So uh, Keegan, you mentioned something in your bio about a, uh, a Captain Kane and he dropped a bomb on you. And you Oh, to, yeah. Tell us about that story real quick. So um, I'm, I'm sitting at home with my wife and we're just watching TV and uh, I get a call and I look at, you know, the caller ID and it says Captain Kane. And I'm thinking mm, this is normal for, you know, uh, leadership to call me on a weeknight, not the Friday before a drill weekend. Like it's just a random weekend. <laughs> And he says, Hey, what's up, buddy? It's Mike. And I'm like, Hey, how's it going? And he's, um, he's like, man, I got something for you. It's big. I'm thinking I have no, I have no idea what's coming. Uh, he said, I just got off the phone with uh, the head of the IRT program, um, which is the mm, something readiness training program. It's basically where they do a lot of humanitarian acts and services for uh, people around um, the country. Um, and I've been on a program with him before in Montana. And so this is the, this was my second trip. And he told me, he's like, look, they are looking for a surveyor, uh, EA, they can do some CAD, TBC, um, GIS. And I talked to you up big time. And at the time I had only been in uh, the career field for three and a half years. So I didn't have that much under my belt, but he thought I was sharp enough because he had been in my shop. Um, and helped out a lot uh, with my training and he said oh, look i talked to you a big and i need you to be packed in like a month so like all right dude sign me up i don't tell me when and where and i'll be there um flew out to hawaii um april and we were out there for about 30 days uh working at a site uh on the top of oahu called camp pomalu uh, where they built a new um stem building for the uh, girl scout association of america hmm. where they would host their new pacific area headquarters 
Um, so we went out there, like uh, Tyler just said, uh, used the term duration staff. Um, I went in as part of the first wave um, where we also had another engineer there uh, from the Oklahoma Air National Guard um, that I worked a lot with. Um, my supervisor was there as well. He was there for the actual duration. So he stayed for the first phase of 90 days. And we tackled that um, as far as everything from the ground up. So really when we showed up, it was just a, a mountain with, with trees, dirt, and a whole lot of uh, clearing to be done. Um, so we staked out clearing limits, um, did uh, batter boards for the footing, put down slabs, columns, um, plumbing and electrical. We had to stick out where those were supposed to go inside the walls. Um, took as-built data as the structure was being built, uh, parking lot, the driveway up, um, which was super dangerous. Getting uh, cement trucks up on that road, which is a, a single lane gravel road, took three hours. And for a regular vehicle, it was a 45-minute drive. Wow. It was super dangerous. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, it, you had cliff coming down on you and then cliff going down uh, to the right of you. So it was, they had to go literally like... Are you guys involved? Sorry, in, are you guys involved in the boundary on that too? Are you laying out the boundary on that for the clearing limits? So we didn't. No, we didn't actually do the entire boundary itself because it was still just within that one parcel of land. Mm. Um, the, the it had already been owned by um, the GSA, and they just were revamping their already existing uh, GSA building that was there, but it wasn't nearly as big. And it was like 30 or 40 years old at that time. It had been abandoned for a while. Yeah. I've heard, uh, that to be a licensed surveyor in Hawaii, you actually have to be able to read and write Hawaiian because a lot hmm. of the deeds, the original deeds are all written in that language. I have heard Hawaii. that. Yeah. I, I talked to a guy down there, um, cause we ran out of, uh, survey supplies because, lo and behold the aircraft or the uh, commercial aircraft lost like half of our luggage so we got to know the like the only shop on oahu pretty well we were in there a couple of times and really good like nice mom and pop shop really cool people so we got to talk nice. to them and learn a couple of things and they, they ended up giving us a whole bunch of stuff for free so i was like okay i gotta buy something so i bought uh, a vest from there that had you know the oahu badge uh, on the side i thought that was pretty cool that's awesome. Kind of like have a little memento back. Super cool. Yeah, GPS is definitely your friend in those situations, right? <laughs> I don't know about that jungle, yes, though. That cover. You, oh, yeah, the cover. You have an too, R12i yeah. and that stuff. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, Tyler, you I mean, with your deployments, I mean, you know, you've done some surveying all over the world. Talk about some of the unique challenges you, you've experienced. Um, Some of the unique challenges. Well, a lot of it is changing over to metric because mm. it's just oh, easier to work. <laughs> yeah <laughs> in a lot of places it's easier to work in metric than to try to translate everything to the foot mm. and you get local control from the uh civilian contractors on a base somewhere it's all going to be a metric um uh with the equipment you know surveying y'all are from the desert but you know i'm not from the desert you know, uh, that was a big change for me, sand dunes and all that good fun mm. stuff. But instead of, you know, walking topos, we got to mount the receivers to the top of Humvees and drive it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Good point. Did you guys do anything with, uh, with drones or UAVs? Uh, we don't currently have that ability or a unit within our brigade that has that ability, mm -hmm. but I know some of the some units are actually starting to demo some of that stuff, gotcha. but we do use like LIDAR. Uh, we mm -hmm. have the 12 Yankees 
which is our geospatial specialists. Hmm. Interesting. How about you, Keegan? Have we're you start, yeah, we're starting to integrate uh, the UAV um, or using the UAS, sorry, uh, in the career field. Um, we have another career field as well, the, um, the structures group where they're based carpentry. Um, they're going to be using it primarily for um, roof inspections. And then we're going to be like secondary alternates for whenever we have to do uh, moss layout, which is um, picking a minimum operating strip for an airfield. Like, let's say, for instance, you know, you have a couple of craters on an airfield and you need to know where that damage is and you need to plot that on a map. Um, that way, you know, the commander can say, all right, this is this is the part of the airfield that we're going to use to get birds in the air. It's going to be a lot easier to just fly a drone over it 20 minutes and have a five minute download of the data and send that stuff in. So they're going to train us on that. I've heard I've heard that come down the pipe uh, over the last um, six months or so. But, you know, implementation on that kind of thing for the military usually takes a little bit more time just because there needs to be that trial and error period. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I mean, obviously surveyors have played a huge role, you know, in, in the military and the different wars and battles that have taken place, um, you know, calculating coordinates, trajectory, all these different things. I mean, from back in like, you know, World War One, and it's, it's pretty amazing. I mean, do, do you guys, have you guys done much research on the history of surveying in, in the different uh, military branches? Uh, well, actually, I've been on the cover of a uh, Re Revolutionary War magazine being compared to the Department of the Geographers that hmm. George Washington said. Oh, wow. Which uh, those wow. guys are pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I read that. Tyler had sent that to me a few weeks back. I mean, I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yes. The history that you guys oh, yeah. deal with, I mean, compared to out West, you know, most of our stuff's maybe 100 years old and the stuff that you guys are dealing with, I mean, on, on your. In the private side, you know, that's, mm -hmm. that's one of the uh, really cool things is, um, you know, navigation is navigation, no matter if you're a surveyor or if you're just a, a seer trainer, who's basically just equipped to navigate land, you know, it's, it's all the same, right? Um, just, you know, they have an M4 and we have a, a an S7. <laughs> that's the difference. Um, but I actually, uh, I've met a couple of, um, JTAC operators, which is like, you know, our special operations guys, you know, the guys you see in the movies and they're talking about, um, how they call in CAS. So CAS is calling airstrikes and how they use, um, land navigation and being able to read an MGRS grid map and the importance of being able to call that in accurately and correctly. And that's one of the things that we teach, um, as EA, as we teach that to the other career fields that have to be um, certified in land navigation. So it's it was really cool to talk to this guy who didn't know me, but he knew my career field. And I just ran into him coincidentally at a class one time and talking about how even though we don't work directly together, it's all it all, just all comes full circle for, you know, I have to know how to do it. He has to know how to do it. We do two completely different jobs, but yet we can sit down and talk about the exact same thing and have conversation. And think about yeah. the pressure. We still have, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Tyler. I was going to say, we still have the artillery surveyors, Yep. but I, I was on a base in Iraq and the 82nd had some artillery guys there that didn't have any surveyors with them. And I got to set out the reference points wow. for the mortar men. And it had to be in mills. Oh, wow. Wow. 
That's crazy. I mean, that's it a lot of cool. pressure. A lot of a lot of pressure Just put on little, those. Yeah. I mean, like if you're calculating coordinates for like you know air attacks and stuff like that. I mean, I, I'm sure there's better language to use, but that's the way I think about it. Right. Think about the pressure on those guys. You know, I mean, if you have the calculations all effed up, it could be uh, a matter of life and death. You know. Right. Right. I'm sure. It, well, what I've wondered how what what kind of career path do they do they give you? you know, uh, in, in the military to pursue surveying, is there, is there a path for you to be able to move up the ranks into a certain position or? So it kind of just comes with time grade and time service, right? Those are going to be your two big, big hitter things that kind of get you up there. Um, but that's just really for rank and pay as far as like what you want to do in your career, it's up to you to kind of, voluntarily say you have these options for you, but you will have to take those options yourself. You know what I mean? The air force, for example, gives us a, a list of certifications, um, training opportunities that we can take and we're encouraged to take, but we have to be out on our own and say, Hey, I want this training. Like if you want to do the NSPS CST training, it's listed as like, yeah, you should probably go ahead and get that. Or uh, the BIM certification, CAD certifications, everything like that. They'll pay for that and everything. But you have to schedule the class and everything like that if you really want to progress and be better at your job. As far as all the technical training, like uh, what I just went through in April, my craftsmanship course where I went back to Fort Littlewood, I was a five level at the time. Now I'm a seven level. And the, these, these terms are just in the, the eyes of the Air Force. So being a seven level means that I'm now I should be able to uh, operate at a higher capability than say the other five levels within the shop. So I should be able to teach them and raise them up until they get to their seven levels. Well, um, but I don't know Tyler about like how many different levels that uh, like the army has, man. So ours is a little bit different. Like you don't have different levels within each rank. You're kind of like, once you're E1 to E4, you're privates and you're specialists, you're, you're part of the field crew, basically. Mm. You do the grunt work. You carry the, all the good equipment. As an E5, as a sergeant, you know, you're kind of the field, the party chief. And then right now I'm at um, ALC, which is the E6 school for staff sergeant. And ba most of this is directed towards being a project manager for those crews. Mm. And then the next rank for E7, that's for managing the project manager and everybody else and, you know, cop, top cover. And so for each rank, we have to do, go to a different school to learn more about our job. So do you, do you guys have, you know, mentors that you see that, you know, that, that, that have helped you or that you've seen just in your job that you're like, man, that guy, I want to do what that, what that guy does. And you know, whether it's GIS survey or civil, or, I mean, is that kind of something that, that makes you want to, you know, push up to that level if you don't have the standardized, you know, route? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I feel like my supervisor right now who, uh, he's an E7 master sergeant. Um, when I came on board, he was a full-time, uh, active guard reserve, which means he's, he's basically active duty. Um, uh, but he's still part of the, guard reserve component for North Carolina. Uh, but he just, he just stays home station Monday to Friday. Um, when I had come in initially, uh, what he was doing there as the prime B or I'm not, sorry, not the prime manager, but as the engineering flight manager and being the RTS manager and holding classes for other units to come in and 
be trained on how to use the brand new R10s, the brand new S7s, the SX10, and seeing him lead that effort and group with all the other people that are in the other four regional training sites. So for the Air Force, we have four different ones, uh, one in California, North Dakota, Pennsylvania, and North Carolina. So being able, I think I got really lucky coming into a unit that is a regional training site because you don't have these anywhere else and then those four bases. And coming in and knowing this man and the knowledge that he had, I wouldn't be where I was or I wouldn't be where I am without the training and the guidance that he gave me, because I feel like being able to get in all the new equipment before anyone else too, just gave us the even more of a leg up. And, uh, it makes me want to teach, you know, after he leaves, he's actually retiring in November, um, this year. And, uh, it's going to suck to see him go, but that just means there's going to be another spot to fill. And, you know, somebody's going to have to step up and uh, fill those boots. So it's going to be a, Interesting, but cool, cool experience to kind of see how the shop changes after he's gone and to see just how the roles shift between all of us. So I'm curious, like a person who's in that role, is that person a, a professional surveyor at, in some state or something? Or how, how does that work? Well, that, yeah, that's kind of where the, the difference really is. So he, he's got all this experience. He's, he's got his degree in what the Air Force calls construction technology, but it's really a surveying degree because that's all it's all it's based around. Um, but he doesn't have a license. He's not a PLS anywhere, but because of his amount of experience for the state of North Carolina, he could take his associate's degree versus his military experience and go sit for the FS and the PS today if he wanted to. And, you know, that's things that we've talked about many times. And that's always been something that I've wondered, you know, why doesn't the military give you at least the PS because the PS is everywhere. You obviously have to take your state exams Mm -hmm. as per each state. Um, But it's never been really a requirement. I think that's just because, you know, we kind of follow our own guidelines as far as like the army Corps of engineers and what they push out and everything just trickles down the pipe. So I feel like that's kind of the loophole for the government is where we're not really doing property or boundary surveys, you know, everything is within our own limits, our own little sandbox that we can play with our ourselves, you know? Gotcha. How about you, Tyler? Is your experience about the same? Yeah, pretty close. I've had some fantastic NCOs, uh, you know, upper leadership throughout my entire career that always held whatever survey section that they were in charge of to a higher level and didn't let us just slack off and do the bare minimum that we could turn in because that happens with a lot of survey sections that they don't have super experienced leadership in the field and so they just turn in the bare minimum work and I've never had that and it has pushed my career significantly. So interesting. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, in the military, it's just such a, a good you know environment to be able to push, push those uh, things where you know you've got leadership and you have to listen and you can't you can't question it you know and you know at, in the long run you find out who the good leaders are and who aren't and so i think you guys being able to take that back into the civilian world is just gold you know because most crew members don't have that experience and they and they don't have that the know, discipline Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No doubt about it. I've, I've worked with a handful of uh, surveyors that you know have had military experience, and I mean, I can honestly say every single <coughs> one has been a good experience. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. 
For sure. So you've talked about some of the unique challenges. Talk about how, you know, being a surveyor in, you know, in, in one of the military branches has unique rewards. Tyler, how about, how about you? How, how, you're obviously, uh, you're very motivated to continue down this path. How has surveying in the military uh, been rewarding for you? Well, the first thing, I started my, uh, my surveying degree at ETSU, the Surveying and Mapping mm-hmm. Bachelors. Mm-hmm. And right off the bat, I got 19 credit hours for my training from the Army. Mm. Wow. But if we're talking about like just a base level, I mean, the, the work ethic is a big one. Uh, you know, I, I have no problems chopping line all day long and, you know, being happy <laughs> about it. <laughs> Getting after it. Getting after it, exactly. Yeah, yeah. How about you? How about you, uh, Keegan? Uh, I'd say it's it's been so rewarding in the fact that I got paid to learn everything that I know. <laughs> you know, and, and and some people don't have you know such good fortune where they you know they're paying forty thousand dollars to go to a four year school mm-hmm. or whatever just to learn how to do survey mapping CAD whatever. Um, I got paid to do something I truly had passion for, and I'm now getting paid more for this in the civilian side. So I'm, I'm, I have two jobs, you know, and it wouldn't be I wouldn't have one if it wasn't for without the other. Um, at, especially because the the big difference that I saw. Uh, between the military and the civilian side was for the military. Like I mentioned earlier, we have like our own set of laws and rules. We do things the way our books are written. We do it the way we're told to do it, which is not at all how the civilians are told to do it. And I, I just, I remember interviewing with my current boss now telling him like, I mean, the rundown would be, I know how to run, the equipment forwards, backwards, sideways, upside down, underwater, but I don't know how to find a property corner. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? And and I didn't have any of that civilian experience, um, but because he gave me a shot, I've now gained that civilian experience. And I know, you know, uh, a lot more of the topo, the construction, um, the easement mapping, all of this different type of uh, civilian surveying that not only did it help me from the beginning, the military get my civilian job, but now my civilian job just right returns back to my military job, helping me there because now I can, I can go out and I can do a lot more than I thought I could even prior when I thought I knew a lot, but I really did not <laughs> And just learning a lot more now. And I, I noticed it because I, you know, we have drill monthly. So every, every month we've got new projects coming in and being able to pick up right where we left off or start new projects. And it just, it keeps getting better. The ball keeps rolling and uh, good things, good things happening. So it's pretty cool uh, to see things through like that. Do you guys, do you find yourself when you're, when you're going back on drill uh, kind of mentoring the, the other guys about, you know, that haven't had that, that private world experience, like kind of, you know, this is how we do it. But just so you know, if you get a real job and you're going to have to do it like this and they probably make you do it like this and kind of, or have you kind of had some of that stuff too, to help you transition? Uh, Most definitely. Uh, We've integrated it into some of our SOPs to make their life easier in some aspects. Like, especially something like field to finish. 
a lot of people, well, I mean, even civilian side, a lot of people don't use field to finish. But when you're in a high tempo environment and you have to produce the work and get it shot out as quickly as possible, makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, those are always such, you know, when you're learning, if you have someone to, you know, just give you those little, those little tidbits of information, you, you remember those, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, I remember when we did this and, you know, watch out, watch out for those, those grade breaks that you can't see and, you know, make sure that you spray that stuff out before or whatever the little trick is. It's just, <laughs> when you have someone else that you kind of, you know, respect and you kind of are following them and they tell you that stuff. It's, it's huge. So I just, I, I don't, I never, you know, you never know how it gets translated back. So that's good to hear. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Will. so how does like, um, how does your, your military experience make you a better civilian surveyor and vice versa? Uh, Tyler, I'll start with you. Um, so I think it, the military services, it, it sparked that joy for surveying. And so, and plus the work ethic that comes from surveying and the always wanting to learn more to you know, progress has always helped me. And it, I took that with me to the civilian sector and all the amazing things I've learned since serving in the military or the civilian sector, I can take that back and teach it to my Joes and make better surveyors out of them. Yeah. Good point. How about you, Keegan? Uh, for me, I think um, a lot of it is, you know, in the military, you're expected to learn and know um, enough to hold your own if it was just you as far as prepping your data, being the drafter, being the surveyor, being the mapper, and then your final deliverables. Um, and then being able to hone my skills on the civilian side where I'm only doing really mostly surveying and I'd say like 70% surveying and 30% uh, in the office doing CAD, um, learning it a, a completely different way that I did in the military. Uh, we In the military, we do a lot of TXT files uh, from a civilian company, I learned how to do FPK files using uh, RW5 files uh, from the data collector using the survey database in Civil 3D, which that was, was mind-blowing. I had no idea what it was. I had no idea how to use it. But um, we got this older uh, senior employee who uh, has been doing it for 30-plus years, and he taught me. And my boss now had taught me and I just kind of take those bits and pieces and I, I learn and I soak it up and then I take it back to drill and then I try it, you know, like do just, just do something small and see how it works with the group. And our shop right now is, is almost pretty much perfect. Like I do serving and cat on the outside. We have a GISP on the outside and then we have a PE on the outside for geotechnical services. So he does uh, helps us out a lot for um, the construction surveying. Our GIS guy is obviously great for GIS because I hate GIS. I, can't. <laughs> I know uh, for me, it's like CAD and GIS are like the complete opposite. Um, so I feel like we work together really well. And being able to hone my skills on the civilian side daily just makes drill a lot easier um, when the engineers are pushing down projects how, for us to get done. How do you guys, you know, how do you coincide with GIS as far as when you get to one of these, uh, Tyler, like you were saying, when you get to a new base, um, how, you know, are, is the asset management there? I mean, is it compared to what you're dealing with in, in the civilian world? Is it chaos? Is it more, you know, more organized? What, what's your take? 
Uh, so the, our geospatial section can request LIDAR to be flown <laughs> on a particular day. We can get recent data, but I wouldn't say it's chaos as much as more red tape. Do you, do you guys use ArcGIS? Are you, are you using uh, like GIS maps on the base as far as, you know, where bathrooms are and where, you know, certain supplies are? Um, so that is more of the geospatial side. The 12 Yankees use the ArcGIS, but we do what are called um, ISRs, which are base inspections and building inspections and go around and raid all the facilities and make notes of where everything's at and stuff like that. And we will utilize our GPS to, you know, make that easier. Tyler, what's the difference between 12 Tango and 12 Yankees? So 12 Tangos are your technical engineers and surveyors. We survey, we draft, we design, we do materials testing, and we do geodetic airfield. The 12 Yankee focuses entirely on GIS and geospatial, uh, using ArcGIS and uh, some pretty specific systems. The damn Yankees. <laughs> I was going to say, both of those are great band names. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so let me ask you guys. So you guys have this training on the military side. You're getting training on the civilian side. Just from an opinion perspective, um, what are your thoughts? I mean, to become a, a, a licensed surveyor, I'm assuming that's the path you guys are on, to become a licensed surveyor. Do you agree with a four-year degree? Do you agree with a two-year degree? Do you agree with a combination of a degree and experience? What are your thoughts on that? And Keegan, I'll let you go first on this one. Um, for me specifically, you know, I'm from North Carolina, so I, I look at the Society Surveys page religiously, um, checking for updates and resources. And I think that the way that the state does it here is a really good setup. Um, whereas I know South Carolina is a little bit different and I'll talk on that in a second. Um, North Carolina, if you have 16 years of experience with a high school diploma, you can get your license. If you have a, a sick, well, actually, but I think it's going down. Like I said, you got to check this stuff religiously, you know, because the board is always talking, um, an associate's degree, I believe it's eight years. Mm. Um, and then with your four-year degree, it's two. Now, to be able to even have those options is uh, just, I feel like it's a lot more beneficial and it widens your range on the amount of people that can actually sit for the exam and become licensed because I feel like the people that are actually licensed are a dime a dozen nowadays. Whereas South Carolina, they don't have that option. Four-year degree or you're just not getting it. And I, it's not to say that, you know, getting a four-year degree is a bad thing, but I feel like if it's not let's say it's not time sensitive, then it's, it's not for everybody. Like for me right now, where I sit versus having my associates and my time of experience, I can sit for the PS now and sit for the FS in two years. But if I go to continue to try to get my four-year degree, I'm going to end up spending more money and then I'm going to take more time to get it. So really I feel like it's a case by case basis, but I think that's where North Carolina kind of hit it out of the park where they made those options available to the people that, um, it, where it's just, it's circumstantial. It always is. And especially with the uh, military experience, um, talking to NC Bells, um, the state board of North Carolina, just to see how are they going to count my military experience versus my civilian experience, even though the time overlaps, Indeed. you know, are they going to count it separate? Or are they going to count it individually? Um, but they said, you know, and, and they can't give you a definite answer, but 
most cases always that the uh, military experience versus the civilian experience, even if it's worked overlap time, they're going to separate that stuff out. Uh, so that that's, that's kind of a big push and it really helps mm. um, people to, to that are on that road to licensure like I am. So it's, um, it's nice to know that I can take that weight off my shoulder that I'm not super pressed right now to, I got to get my bachelor's and I got to get on it ASAP. You know what I mean? Where I can just continue to learn study and then take it when I'm ready. Yeah. Good point. How about you, Tyler? What are you seeing? So Tennessee is actually pretty similar. Um, we have several options, you know, the 10 years of experience versus the 16, but we, 10 years of experience to sit for your FAS, or you can have like five to six years experience with an associates level, but it's like almost all applicable credits. And then the, I think is the easiest way is the four year degree in Tennessee. And, um, it has to be, you know, engineering or surveying related, but, I think you learn valuable information with requiring some education that you wouldn't get just working in the field. Mm. Definitely. Yep. Good point. Would, would either of you be in favor of a, a national requirement? And if so, what do you think that requirement should be? Go ahead, Tyler. A national requirement, maybe not a four year degree nationally, but I think having some education is a good thing. So a combination of education and experience is what your, what, what your vote would be. Oh, absolutely. Do, do you guys have storm drain as part of your, part of the test in your States? Uh, I believe from North Carolina, um, storm is, I think it's floodplain. I think is what the, they call it, but I believe that it's the the bigger the bigger one that's missed, and one of the ones that everybody talks about, like they hate drainage. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's the worst part about the test. What would what do you, guys, what right do you guys feel about like delegating some of that? What do you think? Like maybe certain you know certain practices need to have the four year, and certain don't. Expand on that just a little bit. What do you, what do you mean like by say, that? Uh, you know, uh, if you're going to be doing boundaries and, and uh, you know. Uh, versus construction. Ver well, versus construction or layout or, or, or um, you know, I mean. So, well, on what you're saying, I, I'm, we've had this discussion before, and I love this discussion. So, what you're saying is, like, maybe, hypothetically, a four-year degree would be required for boundary surveyors. Correct. but maybe not for construction surveyors and there would be two different licenses or certifications like either you're a boundary surveyor or you're a construction surveyor but Is i wouldn't even make it that black and white because some of the construction surveyor i mean you've got guys that are doing structural stuff that is just nats mm -hmm. ass and you've got guys that are doing pre-grade so you can't put them but in is the that same... a degree thing or is that a well, skill set I... thing you know I mean, what i mean you have to mm, exactly somehow skill set yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No, exactly. I, I love this conversation. We could talk about this for hours. Oh, I, oh, I have an opinion. Let's hear yeah. it. I would I love think, to hear I it. Feel, <laughs> I feel like, you know, it, I feel like it's smart to understand that there is a huge difference between construction surveying and topographic design. Um, but to say that there should be different licensure for that is maybe going a little too high on the scale. I believe that maybe if we drop it down a couple levels to the NSPSCST, 
where you have, um, I believe the level three, you have options for the survey tech. If you want to be a boundary boundary or construction, I think that needs to be implemented a little bit more, or maybe even drop that down. If you want to start on the path to being a certified boundary surveyor, then to start that down to CST level one, or if you want to be a construction surveyor level three, then start that all the way down to level one. I feel like if you're going for a licensure, you should be able to do all of those things, construction, topo, alta, um, any type of survey. I mean, that's, I mean, I feel like that's kind of the point, you know, is that you're, you're a SME, a subject matter expert that you, you know, the ins and outs, even if you have a little bit of experience, I feel like that's just kind of where the, the community comes from, where you do your research and you learn from others and you have people you can rely on and talk to. If you're not so great at that one specific topic, then you just reach out and ask for help because, I feel like that's, that's kind of a big thing. But like I said, I feel like if you drop that stuff lower for the NSPS stuff, I think that would make a big impact. I think one of the issues is, and I've, I've experienced this personally with many people that I know, they're like, you know what? I, I Unfortunately, I've got 10 years of construction seeking experience in like, maybe six months of boundary surveying just because that's what they get into. They get into doing construction staking. They don't get boundary survey experience and that becomes an issue. Right. Right. That's, that's, you know, I mean, the BLM has a whole force of surveyors who, you know, could not go out and set out a finished floor benchmark sure. or lay out grid. Mm-hmm. Line. I mean, it's just good point. It's black and white. So, I mean, do you want a guy that's doing that every day with the same license who's legally allowed to go out and set a new section corner? That's going to, you know, just cause problems for 10 years down yep. the line. And then he's on to the next job. I yep. mean, and that's what I deal with. You yep. know? So I'm like, it's, you know, yep. and I, I don't fault either one, but I think there needs to be some sort of a line crossed. I mean, you know, even look at the medical field. I mean, they don't just have one license well, for everything. Dude, I mean, you just brought up something that I, I love this comparison. Here's, well, here's a comparison. So I've heard people say this before. It's like, why can't there be like a LS license, like almost, almost like the medical field, like you are general practitioner, Right. And then you get a certification in construction staking. You get a certification in boundary serving and topographic serving and, you know, you know, working on, well, of course there's the CFEDs, which I'm in favor of that for, for the applications, but that's, that's a whole nother topic of conversation that I love. What do you think about that, Tyler? I'm putting Tyler on the spot. (laughs) He's been quiet. He's been quiet. I'm looping him in. I know he's got something to say. No, I think that's a fantastic idea. Having specialized areas of the profession that somebody makes their only, you know, uh, their day-to-day job and they get really, really good at that one thing. And then the guy in the next county over, maybe he's just doing construction and, you know, you don't run into the near as much sloppy work when you got somebody that focuses only on one part of the job. Correct. Yep. So maybe take that NSPS stuff that you do kind of prior to the PLS and you kind of just add that, like y'all are saying, to cater to what you want to do after you've got your PLS. Because then then that's kind of how you can brand yourself, you know, whenever you're looking for people to work with, people to work for, saying that, you know, this is what you specialize in. And it's got to be a state by state thing because it's just so much. I mean, if you guys came out here and, and, you know, we told you to, you know, Go out in there and stake the, the southeast quarter of the northeast quarter of the southeast quarter of Section 18 Township 4 North Range 3 East. 
excuse me, what? Like, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, come again. Take a yeah, yeah, come again. <laughs> but again, I mean, you know, it's exactly. I'd be the same way out there. You know, I wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, I, I run into people next door where, like, for the construction sake, and we do, we never write cut and fills on the stake. But wow. you know, I talked to a guy next to me, and he's like, "Yeah, dude, we just we just do it right there." Whereas, you know, just as an office preference, we just do it that way. We hand the contractors cut sheets. So that way we have a level of quality control inside the office first before we're sending that data out. Because there's been so many times where someone could easily fat finger a rod height where it's five, five and not five Oh, and now you're half a foot too deep on a manhole and the flow is wonked or whatever. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's just something we do. That's a little different where, you know, a lot of times I see other people writing, they just write the cut and fills on the stake right there on the spot. That's such a, I love that topic of conversation. I, again, we, we're, we're, we've just like uh, come up with three new shows. This is fantastic. Um, so you don't write, so you don't write cut and fill on the stakes. You guys, after no. the fact, there's like a, there's a shot on the stake. You bring it in the office, the office guys or whoever do the calculations, create, you know, generate the cut and fills, send that to the contractor. The contractor passes it on to whoever needs to have that information. That's so interesting. I mean, here, like we write cut and fills on everything, right? And I hate it because it opens you up to so much freaking liability. So much yes. liability. It's crazy. I mean, there is so much construction staking to be had in this town. It's ridiculous. And there's so much money to be made. But at the same time, the risk and the reward just doesn't make sense. You know, it doesn't make sense just because we don't get paid enough to do what we do. The, te the technology, <laughs> the technology in that field is getting crazy, though. Uh, Kent, you were there for mm -hmm. when we went and did the, mm -hmm. the self-staking drone. Yeah. So now what they're doing is instead of you writing that information on the stake, the smart stake, they have a sticker like you, that you read with your phone, like a called, QR Jake? code. QR code. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> yeah, so you have a QR code. You know, you that, that goes on the stake, or maybe I don't know how it goes on there. Yeah, it's anyway, a smart it's stake. RFD. It's on the top. Yeah. RFD. Exactly. There yeah. So, and so the RFD. blade yeah. on a smart site, the blade that's actually working. Scans it's a smart it. blade can scan that and adjust grade and yep. grade the site without a Sharpie. As long as it's <laughs> correct. As long as it's right. correct. Yeah. In a perfect world. I mean, yeah. not, most of that stuff's not practical yet, but it's getting there. So, And that's when, I was, when I was asking uh, uh, Tyler about the storm drain. That's, that's what I was getting at is how some states have already delineated licensure based on professional practices. So some states do storm drains, some states, some states don't. So yeah. what's the difference if, okay, well, Arizona, we're going to have a new deal where, you know, you've got to take a, a separate test to be a boundary surveyor mm -hmm. and, you know, you can still do everything else that you normally could, but just for that part, just because there's so much more history and legal and mm -hmm. just garbage. I mean, it's, you know, but you've got to have it. And if you don't have it, it just, so yeah, it's already there. So, so taking it another step further isn't crazy, right? I mm -hmm. mean, I don't know. I don't Something disagree. About. <laughs> I don't disagree with you whatsoever. <laughs> How about you guys? You guys, anything else on that topic? Uh, Keegan, looks like you're chomping at the bit. What you got? Uh, I was just going to say, um, talking about the RFID stuff, we've actually um, looked into that recently at our base because um, we're about to start a project where we're basically redoing a whole lot of the utilities where we're taking up and doing um, rehabilitation on areas that may need it. And so we thought, you know, 
it sucks to have to go out and be there while they're digging and to, to survey that stuff. So why can't we just have them put on the RFID sticker, scan it where they right now, Trimble makes an attachment for the TSC seven for the uh, RFID scanners yeah. where you can take an XYZ location of that sticker. And then now you always have the depth wherever you're at. So you come back, put it in a cab, put it in GIS and you just always have that data. There's no guessing anymore. There's no need to have uh, the location marked anymore. Uh, you know exactly where it is. You just stake out to it. Then you paint the ground and you don't have that 30 inch window that, you know, USIC or A11 is going to mess it up probably or whatever. But, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh it just eliminates that, that issue at all. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's the direction we're going. How about you, Tyler? What do you, what, what say you on this topic? Um, you know, I'm, I'm not really sure. Uh, I don't know what else I can say at this point that hasn't been said already. Yeah. What do you think? About, um, what do you think about the smart steak idea though? Do you think that's a good idea where you like, the steak is, is well, like, blade. yeah, like Will was talking about, we went to a demo of this drone that literally had like these, these stakes that it would drill into it the had ground. a hammer drill mounted in the drone and yep. it would, it had a, it carried a mag of like mm-hmm. eight or nine of these. They looked like little corkscrew pegs. Exactly. But on the top of the pen, it had that sticker. And so it was autonomous. It would fly out, land, and then the, it had an actuator that would grab the peg. And then the hammer drill would drill it into the ground at the correct grade. And then it would take <laughs> off and fly to the next one and do it again. And <laughs> it was crazy. And then they had like a pit crew there on the ground so that as soon as it landed, they loaded another mag in it. If they had to change batteries, they changed batteries. And this thing was back up and going. And yeah, I was about to say it can't carry a lot at once. You know, I think what I mean? it was like ten or twelve, maybe 10 or twelve. Yeah, they were yeah. they were like plastic, some sort of plastic, yeah, stake that like literally had like a thread on it that it would drill right. into the ground. It had a, um, you know, some sort of like what, what was on top of that? Was it a sticker? Was yeah, it? Yeah, it was. It's got to be sticker. RFID, yeah. RFID type yeah. thing. That if you had the app on your phone, you could walk up to that stake, scan it. It would tell you what it's for, what the right. cut and fill is, blah blah blah. Definitely the way I think things are going. What about the, they had an R, They had a, an RC car, like an autonomous oh, yeah, RC yeah, yeah. car, yeah. and it had four cans of paint in it, all colors of utilities. <laughs> and it was an autonomous line, and it was laying out blue steak. It was laying out whatever you tell it without touching it. But the whole time I'm seeing that, I'm thinking military, like, you know, like let's maybe, like they scan this, and maybe there's some, it's a minefield or something. Ordinance, yeah. Send the robot out there to start painting dots where at least where they've cleared it or they haven't cleared it or, but. Yeah. Or send out a spot, the Boston Dynamics dog, just send him out (laughs) there. That's what I was just about to say. The first time I saw the, the Boston Dynamics robot dog with the Trimble receiver on the back of it. There it is right there. That's what we need to be replacing our soldiers with because that's safer. (laughs) I don't disagree. A couple drones flying around watching their back. Yeah, robot dog running around and a couple RC cars. Yeah. I mean, you could run the, the robot dog from the base and, you know, you never have to leave, you know, the, the safer area. Yeah, get for sure. Inside the wire. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. So I got to ask you guys this. You guys, you guys have some very unique experiences, you know, coming from the military side and incorporating that into the, the uh, civilian side. Um, from your perspective, what are some of the qualities or personality traits that a successful surveyor should uh, possess? And Tyler, I'm going to let you go first. Anybody who is willing to, to learn new things every single day and is just ready to roll with the punches as soon as they see a new piece of equipment. 
that has been one of the biggest hiccups that I've noticed, whether it's surveying uh, equipment or drafting software or something anywhere in between. If you're not willing to adapt to that new equipment, the profession and the career field is just going to run off without you. Mm. Very true. Nailed it. You can't be a stubborn surveyor. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I've seen it. I've seen it. Uh, (laughs) Yes, we have. How about you, Keegan? Well, I mean, Tyler, you sold. I was going to say, kind of, man. So, uh, <laughs> so I'd say a couple things. Number one, you got to have a positive attitude because I feel like you can't come into this profession just being a grouch all the time. Mm. Because of uh, most of the time, we might work alone, but other times, you know, we work clients, we're contractors, and then we work with homeowners, and that's kind of a pain. Uh, the other thing is being a sponge, you know, to just to soak up everything that either you know. I'm teaching or someone else is teaching, but also being able to regurgitate that information is just as much as important because, you know, if you want them to succeed and grow, then it helps to teach as well. Like I know for me, um, it's one thing to be shown how to do something, but it's a completely other thing to actually turn around and do it and then teach it to somebody else. I feel like I learn a lot better that way. That's when you Um, own it. That's when you own it. That's when you own it. Like that's, you know, when you go from being the amateur to, you know, the pro. And, um, I think that that helps out a lot. Even, even if you make a mistake, like you own the mistake, you know what I mean? And you just, then you come to a solution together as a team and figure out how can we make this better? And it's not just to say that, Oh, well, he was right. The first time you should have did it that way. Well, no, it's a learning, it's a learning curve because surveying is always and forever going to be changing. And so we can never be so stuck in our ways that we become enemies to each other when we're all on the same team. And I think that is number one key right there. Like if you're, if you're not on the same team, then you're not for any team. And uh, to be a surveyor, like that's just, that's what it is. Even, even when you're a one man crew, you still have a manager and a CAD tech back in the office, you know, that you're going to have to communicate with as far as you're the eyes and boots on the ground. You know, you have to be able to be that person that's accountable um, and trustworthy to uh, bring back valuable data in the field. Let me ask you guys this, you know, being, having the military experience, I have to believe that safety is the number one priority for you guys. And then when you come to the civilian, civilian side and you're working as one man crews, which I not, uh, not in support of, it should be a two person crew, of course, but talk about safety a little bit and, uh, and what, what you see on the civilian side versus the, uh, the military side and Tyler, I'm going to start with you. So on the military side, there is no reason for you to ever be on a job site by yourself. And there's no, there's absolutely no good reason for that to ever be needed, especially in a combat environment. That's the worst place you could be alone. But if for, I know this is the same for every branch. We have safety briefs and all these different documents that have to be filled out before we do anything, whether it be a training event, a job. I mean, even sitting in the classroom, teaching a class, we have to give a safety brief about what could happen in that classroom nice. bef- during that, that time. And, you know, that, that isn't always taken into account on the civilian side. We've all seen the one-man crews. And we've seen guys doing 1,000-acre sur- boundary surveys by themselves on the backside of nowhere. If he gets bit by water boxing, <laughs> rock mouth, whatever, that's it. Yep. Like, Completely agree. Keegan, what are your thoughts on that? I agree. Um, civilian side, I'm, I'm a one man crew 99% of the time. 
but in the military, that is not the case. Uh, normal SOPs is that, you know, when we have a project like this, if, if we're doing something legitimate from birth, you know, we're going to have that, that pre-project briefing to see lay down, you know, everybody's roles. Like, okay, Lumley, you're doing this, LaPointe, you're doing this. And, uh, that, you know, from there, then you already know ahead of time, okay, this is what I'm doing. This is my role. This is how I'm going to get it done. This is how we're all going to be together safe. And I could probably quote so many OSHA guidelines that it is ridiculous. <laughs> like I, I sit through so many trainings. Like, I feel like that's half of the time, you know, half, half the time you're working on a project, the other half the time you're death by PowerPoints. And, uh, a lot of it is OSHA, um, uh, CPR certifications, things like that, just to keep you up to date and making sure that everybody's staying safe. Um, which it's important. I mean, it's nothing to, to slack off about and you can laugh at the, the PowerPoint or whatever, but you know, it's serious stuff and things do happen, but luckily most of the time, nothing really does. Uh, but I think it's because, you know, we go through that training, so we're prepared for it. But. Yeah, for sure. So uh, there's a little bit of a, uh adaption i guess there unfortunately so i'm just <laughs> lighting the mood here just a little bit do you guys have any uh, military nicknames you know like maverick or goose call signs <laughs> call signs oh god i don't know if i can say some of them yeah come uh, on, <laughs> come on. <laughs> but no most of them are just mispronunciations of my last name oh okay so I'll give us an and example just, they just, well you know, LaPointe, it, it seems fairly easy, but I've gotten everything from LaPonte, LaPonte, <laughs> Lapanite. I got oh, very, nice. very first day at basic or basic training, uh, drill sergeant called me laptop. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, it's so funny you said that because I was like, I mean, you never know because I'm like, it could be La Puente. <laughs> yeah, real classic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how about you Keegan anything anything going on there uh, I have one so I mean when I came in the military I was I was 18 so uh, super young and you know everybody's shaving they don't see the grizzly that I am uh, <laughs> not at drill so uh, <laughs> one of our heavy equipment operators who runs the um, the radios for base he, he just looks at me one day barely knows me just like giving out call signs to everybody. He's like, mm, you look like that one kid from high school musical. We're going to call you high school. So <laughs> I was like, are you serious? Like, <laughs> so high school is like my call sign for whenever I'm at drill. Uh, but his is worse than mine. His is dick dug. Like, come on. Sounds ridiculous. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah. P PJ, I never asked you, do you have any nicknames from high school or anything? I don't know. Nothing um, besides PJ. Middle school was Jivey. Jivey. Like yeah, it. yeah, but that, that, that didn't stick around for too long. Not a big nickname guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Will Wing, how about you, buddy? Oh, you, got, you got any racing nicknames? Oh, it's a wing ding, winger, chicken wing, chicken winger. Chicken wing. <laughs> there, there's so many. We could go on and on. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot we could do with that for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my racing guys, it's my initials are WW, so they're like, 
W double dub. Where the hell the is Will? Where's Will? The <laughs> double dub. Double dub. Is double awesome. dub. <laughs> I love you double like, dub. Yeah, you like that? Yeah. The double dub. <laughs> we're, we're we're gonna yeah we're gonna trademark that one for sure. <laughs> all right, gentlemen. Well, hey, first of all, again, thank you for your service. This has been yes. fantastic. Um, great perspective on things. If Schutz was here, he's he would ask you this question, but I'm gonna ask it in his stead. Um, do you guys have a mantra that you live by? And Tyler, I'm gonna let you go first. Oh man, a mantra that I live by. I knew this question was coming and I was, still wasn't prepared. <laughs> it's a lot of pressure. I understand. It really is. Um, it's going to be in the book. The it's going to be in the book, by the way. We are writing a book of mantras. I, so make it a good I, I, one. No yeah. pressure. Woo. Uh, <laughs> I guess roll with the punches, adapt to everything. Yep. Love I like it. it. Yep. Adapt and overcome. Very military. Yeah, Roll with the punches. Exactly. <laughs> so stereotype. <laughs> Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, I love that one. All right, Keegan, how about you, buddy? Can't stop, won't stop. I'll say it till I die. I um, I don't know why. Uh, I can't explain it. Just it just it hit, so, it hit me one day where I was like, you know, I, I felt like I was on a roll. You know, graduating high school, whatever, you know, playing on a state champ football team and then going into the military and then doing all this leadership training tactics and all this stuff. And it just felt like I couldn't stop and I didn't want to stop. And I was being super, you know, uh, that guy about it where I was super excited to go do all this stuff. And I just kind of took that on to life, you know, and uh, I even got it on my graduation ring where, it, you know, put your name on one side and then on the next side, it says can't stop, won't stop. And, um, so I, yeah. I keep it going, live, man, keep it going. you know, and I, I try to live my life that way. And, uh, it's a lot of fun because then, you know, after I do one challenge, I'm like, all right, what's next? Like, let's get it. Um, that's awesome. But, Very yeah. Good it's a lot of fun. Do you, do you have the can't stop, won't stop tattoo though? That's the question. That's cool. next. Uh, yeah, that's next. <laughs> I, I got one guy. here, so I'll have to get it. <laughs> yeah. Y'all don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Um, I, I, you got anything else there, buddy? No. It's, we, we covered a bunch. It was awesome. Yeah, DJ, you I got anything? We covered a whole, whole bunch. Yes, we did. Uh, guys, is there anything we haven't touched on that you want to get out there? Um, well, uh, unless there are military surveyors listening, it doesn't matter what branch. I run several social media accounts for helping out military surveyors, and that's how me and Keegan met. Nice. I run the, wow. the Facebook page, the Discord, and the LinkedIn, and the Instagram. The Instagram is not private. Anybody can get on there. And they're all called Military Surveyors and Technical Engineers. Fantastic. Thanks for sharing yeah, that. We'll That's awesome. Yeah, that sure. was, we definitely had to get that out there. Thank definitely. You. How about you, Keegan? You got anything you want to add here at the end? Um, not really. I just want to say thanks for the opportunity. I feel like I don't hear a lot of uh, people in our geomatics industry talking about the military side of it. So uh, it's really cool for people to open up and realize that there's a lot more to it than just the civilian side, that the military does do what we do. It's just in a different capacity. And I feel like not a lot of people know about it. Um, but so I think it's really cool that we're talking about it and getting that info out there for more people to know that work in this industry. I think it's awesome. I really do. Absolutely. And I'm sure there's a lot more we could talk about, but you guys have represented, oh, yeah. represented incredibly well. And we really appreciate that. So before we get out of here, I would be remiss if we 
we didn't mention the passing of a dear friend of the show, survey icon and overall amazing human being, Mr. Jim Combe, passed away this past weekend. Jim gave more to the land survey profession than most and will be dearly missed by all. So rest in peace, sir, and our thoughts go out to the entire Cone family. All right, guys, that's a wrap as far as I'm concerned. You guys good? Let's do it. All Can't right. stop, won't Good. stop. Let's put a bow on that. Yeah. Oh, I love it. No <laughs> doubt. Another awesome friend-making, value-adding show. Please be sure to check out The Geoholics uh, at thegeoholics.com. Follow us on all social media outlets by searching for The Geoholics. Download all our podcasts from just about everywhere. And don't forget to download The Geoholics app from Land Surveyors United. Send us an email at thegeoholics.com if you have any content ideas or would like to be a guest on a future show. Last but not least... Please support our friends of the program just like AGS GPS every chance you get. Be sure to mention you're a geoholic for entry into their VIP suite. It's pretty slick. Pay it forward. Add value. Make friends. Red Hot Chili Peppers can't stop taking us out. Until next time, be safe and healthy, everybody. Once again, a shout out to our friends of the program, Aerotech Mapping Inc., ATMLV.com, Advanced Geodetic Surveys Inc., AGSGPS.com, Bad Elf GPS, Bad-Elf.com, Cobb Fenley, CobbFenley.com, Cyanic Automation, GetJobBook.com, Diamondback Land Surveying, DiamondbackLandSurveying.com, Get Kids Into Survey, GetKidsIntoSurvey.com, Land Surveyors United, LandSurveyorsUnited.com. Mentoring Mondays, mentoringmondays.xyz, Monson Engineering, monsonengineering.com, Nettleman Land Consulting, nlcprep.com, Parkland Community College, parkland.edu slash surveying, Safety Apparel, safetyapparel.us, Tiger Supplies, tigersupplies.com, Trimble Geospatial, geospatial.trimble.com. <laughs>